okay, we're in Romans chapter 1 tonight, and I'm going to go ahead and get started here. Uh, you're going to do it, so go for it. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. All right, we're in Romans chapter 1 tonight, and oh, we'll get there. <laughs> we're in Romans 1 again, and uh, we're, uh, I want to say something before we start the letter, the epistle uh, to the Romans. Uh, every verse in this epistle is like four or five sermons, every single verse. It's incredible. Uh, but I want to try to make sure we don't lose sight of the big picture, and that's why one of the reasons why I chose to do this on Sunday night first was uh, I want to go ahead and go through this and do it in a little bit bigger chunks. I, I, you know, you can uh, read this, get into commentaries, listen to all sorts of smaller sermons, but I really, my goal, my, my whole goal is that you get the bigger picture. These letters were written as letters to be read. And uh, sometimes we get so into looking at the pieces, we forget the whole. And so my goal here is we're going to take little bit bigger chunks. Uh, well, actually, my goal is that I will take little bigger chunks because even in prepping today, I was like, oh, no, I want to do that as a whole sermon. Or not today, but uh, this week. Pre- I, I want to do this as a whole sermon. I want to do that as a whole sermon. But then I found myself going, wait, we're losing sight of the whole. So we're going to take bigger pictures, bigger chunks here as we go through this. And I'll just pick some things that I really want to expound on. Of course, we definitely will slow down as we move farther on in this letter. Um, but let me just help you understand the stage here of Roman, the writing uh, to the, this epistle to the Romans. So this is probably sometime around 57 AD, uh, right before Paul heads to Jerusalem. Uh, so he has finished up his third missionary journey Right before he's heading to Jerusalem, he's about to be arrested. If those of you who have been with us on Sunday mornings for the two years we were in Acts, you're, this is all fresh in your head. Uh, but those of you who weren't, uh, Paul obviously was headed to Jerusalem. He was told that he would be arrested. He was arrested. And then it took him uh, another two and a half years to actually arrive in Rome. And we'll talk about that more in just a moment. But uh, this letter was written before he ever arrived in Rome or knew any of the church in Rome. And I think that's important to understand because when we think about the, this epistle to the Roman church, sometimes we think of Paul as the church planter, which he was, but um, really this is God's church. And God had already planted a thriving, healthy church in Rome prior to Paul's arrival. So the, so the church of Jesus Christ is not a church of Paul, as some scholars or commentators on the New Testament would like you to believe. It's the church of our Lord Jesus. And, and, it, it, and he's the one who is our shepherd. He's the author and the perfecter of the body of Christ. And, and it's him who plants the church. And, of course, we're going to see that Paul's uh, excitement to be with the Roman church. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into verse 1. Heavenly Father, Lord... We do thank you so much for this time together in your word, and we pray you bless this time. Lord, teach us now. Help us to have understanding of these things. And Lord, as we read through your word, let us meditate on it and chew on it. We know, God, that uh, in this time, this, this evening, 
there is no way that we can fully comprehend or understand all these things, that your word will, all, will never be exhausted. But we pray that you might transform us and change us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So getting into Romans 1, uh, Galatians, Romans is kind of considered the, the, uh, the theological uh, opus day of Paul. I mean, it's, it's just the, this incredible book that lays out the theology of the gospel. Galatians is often called Romans light. It was, one of the, it was the first epistle Paul ever wrote very early on in his ministry. And Romans seems to expound on everything that Galatians covers. Of course, Galatians is actually addressing some concern and some people that are coming out against the gospel. They're actually trying to introduce works into the gospel. But Romans gets so much deeper into this. Now, I think that when we get into this letter of Romans, that it will transform you. It doesn't matter where you're at in your walk with Christ. If you just stick to it, if you're reading it, if you're chewing on it and meditating it, it will transform you because it's a wonderful book for our discipleship. Now, I want to encourage you as we go through Romans together that you would just continue reading it. So today we're going to get through verse 17, Lord willing, and uh, then you're just going to keep reading it. Read back one through all of chapter one. Read all of chapter two. You know, just keep reading through it and meditating on it the whole way that we, as we go through this, this epistle and I, I think you'll, you'll be incredibly blessed, especially as you put all these themes together. So with that said, Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which is promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations, for his name among whom you also are called of of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going to stop there for a moment and just start with the introduction. So Paul here uh, most of us, when we write a letter today, we put dear so-and-so and we put who we're addressing the letter to. But in this time period in the first century, they would put who's writing the letter and then we'll get in a moment to who it's addressed to. But the first one starts out with this introduction. This is who I am, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now, I love this because as much as uh, critics of the New Testament and critics of the Apostle Paul love to th- say that Paul was just doing his own thing and creating his own church, oh, I love Jesus, but I don't like Paul. I don't like Paul's writing or Paul's this and Paul's that. And by the way, there's a lot of people that have problems with Paul. And the only reason I think they have problems with Paul is they, they, they don't like God's word. <laughs> they don't want to conform to God's word. And, and that's why they have issues with Paul. And, of course, Paul wrote uh, two-thirds of the New Testament. But here as he says, Paul, a bondservant, we see that he says, I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. That's how Paul saw himself. Paul didn't see himself as this great bishop moving around from church to church. Certainly God had given him some authority as an apostle 
But Paul saw him truly as, himself truly as a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. And truly, that, that would, would be where all of us as Christians should be, that, no, I'm a servant, a bondservant, a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, see, there's only two choices as far as your life is concerned. You can choose to be a slave to sin and, and be, be held captive by sin and death, or you can be a slave to righteousness and be set free from sin and death. And we'll see the, uh, this evening that as Paul chooses to be a slave to Jesus Christ, he becomes that slave of righteousness. And, and so he sees himself not as a person who gets to make his own decisions about his life, but a person who's submitted himself to the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ. That should be every Christian. Every Christian should be at a place where we say, oh, I'm a slave to you, Lord Jesus. And, but that's a hard thing because when we start considering our choices and our actions, the things we, things we give ourselves over to, we, we tend to say, okay, Jesus, we'll talk later. I've got to do this for now. Or I've got to give myself over to this for now. Uh, I'll make time for you later, Jesus. And, and that's really trying to make Jesus our slave versus us saying, all right, Lord, here I am. Use me. Change me. Transform me. And so Paul says he's called to be an apostle. And that means he, he didn't earn it, pay for it. He, he didn't deserve it. God just called him. Apostle means sent one and, or one who is sent. And uh, in the broad term, well, originally this term was used for ships who, that were sent off to deliver messages or goods or things like that. And uh, that's where the original root of the word comes from. But here it's Paul is saying he's been called to this apostleship to be a sent one. And so we know within, in regards to the, the gospel, there's a broad sense of the church's apostles, that those who are sent. But then there's a narrow sense of the definition of those who have been called to a, a greater leadership position and authority within the church of our Lord Jesus. And that would be those who have been equipped. And usually the standard, well, throughout the New Testament, the standard was those who have seen the resurrected Jesus Christ and uh, are disciples sent out by God to testify to, to the resurrection. And of course, Paul says that he was a, an apostle untimely born because he, he wasn't one who walked with the Lord Jesus uh, through the Gospels uh, during Jesus' time here on earth, but he was one who Jesus appeared to on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. And so he says he's called to be the sent one. And, and look at the next, it says, separated to the Gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel was not a response to Israel's failure. The gospel was always a plan of God. And that's important to understand. It wasn't that God said, okay, I'm going to try something in the garden. Oops, it didn't work. They took that fruit. Let's try something new. We'll give them some laws. Oops, that didn't work. Oh, let's try something else. No, Peter tells us that before the foundations of the earth, Christ was chosen. In fact, we see all the way from the New Testament that were, were or from the Old Testament, which 
you know, that's not a great name anyway for the scriptures <laughs> in the Old Testament. I wish we could get a better idea because it's kind of like Old Testament, like we don't, <laughs> that's the old stuff. We don't need that anymore. We've got the new stuff when, when we very much need the Old Testament. But as we go through the Old Testament or the prophets, the law, and, and the writings, we see that it was always about Jesus Christ. Everything was pointing to Jesus Christ. I mean, look through just the feasts of Israel, the celebrations of Israel, and all you see is Christ from the Passover uh, through Pentecost. It, it, you continue to see Christ. It's all pointing to Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, which he promised this before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, Verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now we have a dual origin for Jesus Christ. The first origin is a physical origin that Paul gives to us, born of the seed of of David according to the flesh. And so we see that he's the rightful heir to, to David's throne. He's born of David according to the flesh. And of course, as we go through uh, the uh, genealogies in the gospel, we see that it's through Mary's line that, that, uh, that he's related to David. And, and that gives him his uh, claim to the throne of David, which is important for the Messiah. And his identity. But more than that, we actually see that he's declared the Son of God. And how is he declared the Son of God? How do we know it's not just somebody, some random dude saying, oh, that person's God? Well, Paul says it here, according to the Spirit of holiness. This is the Holy Spirit. It's just another way of wording the Holy Spirit. By the resurrection of the dead. It's the resurrection from the dead that proves that Jesus is God. That he's the son of God. And so we have this dual origin. And I love the fact that later on John writes his gospel. This is before John's gospel is even written. But John starts out his gospel with, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word God. Man, that's a deep. When, we, when you open up just the... The very first part of John's gospel, you see that John says, okay, I'm not going to give the genealogy of the flesh. I'm going to give the genealogy of the spirit and that Jesus was in the beginning. I know that the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses have tried to put, change that to say in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was, was a God over that because they tried to cite a Greek scholar uh, about, the, uh, about this, why it could be justified as a God. And the scholar was uh, just, am I a little loud tonight? I feel like I'm loud. Richard, they're not deaf. So <laughs> I just feel like I'm so loud. <laughs> That's better. <laughs> uh Guys, next time, just tell me I'm loud before you have to endure through like a third of the sermon. <laughs> so, 
Um, and so this, uh, so they took this Greek scholar to court, or the Greek scholar took them to court, sued him, and there's a whole court case about how it's not an appropriate translation to say the word was a God. Um, no, the word was God. And so Jesus Christ is the Lord, this dual origin. Verse 5 says, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Through him we have received grace. Oh, wonderful grace. I'm telling you, every verse is really truly five sermons. And so it's difficult for the preacher to to handle this. Uh, But through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to faith among all nations for his name. Now, this idea that not only has uh, this grace is available that it's that we can we can have it, and how do we have it through Jesus Christ? Uh, grace is is that unmerited favor of God. Now, sometimes we have a hard time understanding unmerited favor because everything in our life is based on merit, and certainly those who have just graduated from or commenced in school, graduated from college, you've merited. That graduation, you've earned it, and it was important, and you worked hard to get it. And some of you even worked hard to become the top of your class. Maybe the valedictorian or whatever the case is, or graduate with honors, or have a special medal or a special rope. I'm still bitter about the rope I didn't get told I could buy. <laughs> but but you, you've really worked hard to earn it. And here, this is, this is Paul saying that, that we've obtained through Jesus Christ this wonderful grace uh, just by God's unmerited favor, that we haven't earned it. There's nothing we can do for it. It's given to us. I heard a little acronym for grace one time, and it's, it's pretty wonderful. It's God's riches at Christ's expense, that we get all the riches of heaven just at Christ's expense. Now, it's not a totally accurate acronym, but it's pretty good for us to get the idea. You know, the Book of Mormon, one summer I spent time reading the Book of Mormon. And uh, I'm like one of the few people that the Mormon missionaries, when they come to the door and ask, have you read the Book of Mormon? I'm like, yes, they're really? <laughs> and uh, and it, it, I don't suggest anybody read it. Just spend your time in the scriptures. I read it with a purpose in mind, but, but uh, toward the end of the Book of Mormon, we learn that it's by grace after all you can do. So my question for you, and the question I've always asked the missionaries, and by the way, don't be hard on Mormon missionaries. Those people are dedicated. I mean, just think for a moment how they save, they work toward their mission, they, they, they uh, save their money, and for two years, they commit to leaving their family, taking a pause on their life, and going and knocking on doors to tell you about their, their religion. I mean, that's dedication, right? Certainly, you can respect that out of them. So don't be hard on them, but pray for them. But, but I ask them, I say, well, how do you know it's grace after all you can do? 
Like, how do you know you've done enough? I mean, because that's basically the idea that you still are are running this race and you're trying to win, but at some point in time, you're going to fall down dead. And how do you know you got far enough? How do you know you did enough to please God? If it's by grace after all you can do, because certainly some people are doing a lot less than others. Talking to you, Lucan. No, just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding around. Uh, See, with Jesus Christ, grace is already starting at the finish line. He's already finished the work of your salvation, of your righteousness, and you're starting at the finish line. You're not trying to earn something. You're not trying to be good enough. You're just starting there. It's already that work of your salvation is finished. And so Paul says that we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nation, all nations for his name, nations, the ethnos, the Gentiles, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 7 says, to all who are in Rome. Now we get to who it's addressed to. That was just the introduction. Uh, to, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. I, I got to stop there. I got to stop there. Paul's never met these people. I mean, well, maybe there's a couple he's met because he's sent them on to Rome. And we see in Romans chapter 16 that he references some people. So he, he, he knows some because he says greet these people and greet those people. And actually it's probably the most extensive list of all of his epistles of people to greet. But certainly he's never actually been to the church in Rome or met the different fellowship, home fellowships there. But, he, but, but not knowing them, he says, he helps them understand that they have a a name, that actually God sees them a particular way, beloved of God, loved of God. Oh my goodness, do you think about that at all? Does that just rock you, okay, or make you shudder the fact that God loves you? You're saying, oh man, I've heard this all my life. How can you be jaded to the fact that your creator loves you, beloved of God. Those who are in Christ Jesus, beloved of God, that should never get old. In fact, every time you think about the fact of how God sees you, 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 knowing that God loves you, that should encourage you all the more to walk in him, to trust in him, to say that, yeah, I'm not feeling great today emotionally. I'm not feeling great today spiritually, but God loves me. Lord, why do you love me so much? Just, just think about it. Just dwell on that, that God knows you. That he says that he knows the very hairs on your head. He knows you better than you know yourself. That when you think about the things that you could be worrying about, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have enough troubles of its own. And if, you're wor- if you don't even understand how you cannot worry, Jesus gives you some pictures to look at. He-, he says, consider the lilies of the field, the way God dresses the field. Just look at the flowers. They're here today and gone tomorrow. And you're more important than them. Yet Solomon in all of his, his, his kingdom wasn't dressed like the lilies of the field. I love walking through gardens, and it's become a new, new thing of mine when I'm out around places taking pictures of flowers. 
I know it's not very tough. <laughs> but but it just because I, I love to get in there, take a picture of the flower, and just start looking at the intricacies of the flower. Because usually I'm trying to catch up to my kids. So I'm like, Toot. okay, wow, look at that. Uh, or, or taking pictures of birds. J- Jesus tells us that not a single bird falls to the ground without our Father in heaven knowing about it. But you're more important. Wow, you're loved by God. That should be a great encouragement to you. Don't don't take for granted the fact that the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, there are people in my life that I love more than others. Obviously, I love my wife. My wife is my best friend. In fact, we had to drive, I officiated a wedding yesterday, and we had to, because I got the time on the rehearsal wrong, I, <laughs> Melinda, you must have been told about this because she's laughing at me. Uh, so uh, I, I, got, I, I was uh, <laughs> planning on going down to, to the, this wedding near San Diego um, at, at like uh, three or sorry, two o'clock in the afternoon on Friday. Well, I find out that the rehearsal is actually at 9 a.m. on Friday. So I'm like, ah. Oh. So, so I got down there in time for the rehearsal. And so my wife had to drive separately. And so on the way home, we all were kind of bummed because we love driving places together because we just talk. We just talk. And, and, um, and so on the way home, we just call each other. And she's behind me in the car and we're just talking. And she's like one of my best friends. Really, she is. I, I, I've been with, we're going on 25 years of marriage, and I love my wife. And I love my kids. Oh, I love my kids so much. God loves me in an even greater way. He loves me so much. How could I ever take the love of God for granted? And we're called to be saints. Now, by the way, this, this translation here in the New King James, I'm not sure if it's the most accurate. Uh, ESV also translates it that way. But you'll see in your Bibles, it's kind of in italics 2B. And um, it's not there in the Greek. I, 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 I'm not really sure why some translators chose to keep 2B saints and not just called saints. But uh, anyway, it's there. You can decide. You can argue with. Uh, whoever you want in the church after service and, and decide whether it's called to be saints or called saints. But nonetheless, um, this is, the word saint is holy one. And, and the, 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 through Jesus Christ, you're called holy one. And, and I believe uh, the to be could probably be left out given what Paul's other letters say about, about you and I being saints and the rest of the New Testament, that just by being in Jesus Christ, you're called saint, a holy one. Uh, You don't have to do any special things. Remember we said grace is starting at the finish line? There's nothing special there. So grace uh, to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle is giving us an official greeting on behalf of our Father in heaven. Isn't that wonderful that because of Paul's calling because of his apostleship given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ, he can give you this greeting on behalf of God. He's God's emissary ready to share with you grace to you. God is extending this grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So God is giving, extending to you this peace. Verse 8 says, first, I thank God 
through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. That without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Making requests if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. I'm going to stop there for just a moment and talk about this prayer request of Paul because I think we can have some application for ourselves. So first he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And I love this fact that these people, because there's faith in Rome, people are sharing about it. And he's, Paul's been hearing about it. And he's excited about it. They've got faith in Rome. I haven't even made it to Rome But there's believers there in Rome. People have been going to Rome and coming from Rome. And there's faith in Jesus Christ in Rome. We're speaking about it throughout the whole world. Of course, Paul's world was a little bit smaller than our world today. We're talking about the known world, the the world that uh, he had access to. But I can certainly identify with this. There are places that I've been praying to get to because I've heard about their faith. And I want to go and encourage them all the more and, and help them in their faith. And so we see that Paul has this heart that, that as he's heard about them, he says, for God is my witness. I have been praying. I, I, I've been asking God that I can see you. Look at what he says in verse 10. Making a request. He's not only been praying for the Romans, but making a request if by some means Now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you, for I long to see you. Paul Paul started out his plans to go to Rome in prayer. He had prayerful plans, and that's where he started those things out. And we know that Paul had had, uh, gone through three different missionary journeys, but still had never been to Rome. And we also know that there were hindrances along the way of him getting to Rome. We know that we read that uh, there were other priorities in ministry that he had, that he had sickness, that, that there were satanic attacks on him, and even the Holy Spirit keeping him at times from going to Rome. There were things that prevented him, and oftentimes there's a gap between our prayer and God's fulfillment of our request. That's actually normal uh, in our lives in our, as we walk with the Lord, that there be gaps between what we're praying for and God's fulfillment. I mean, think for a moment about Noah. Remember, Noah is called to prepare an ark. How long before the flood? He's 100 years building an ark. It's a little bit of a gap, right? I, I could barely make it three years. <laughs> right? That's a little bit of a gap. Abraham and Sarah waiting for a child, major gap from the call and the promise of the child to receiving it. And of course, Moses, Moses receives a call, but there's a major gap between when he actually leads the people of Israel or uh, the people of Israel out of Egypt. I remember praying um, from the time that we started working with Dida in West Africa, I was praying that I could go and see him. And I kept getting an invitation, kept trying to go. Doors kept closing every single time. I couldn't get there. 
And then finally, uh, after three years, the Lord opened up a door and I got to go to West Africa. Since then, I've been trying to go back to West Africa. And I keep getting shut doors. All because I just want to go and encourage the brethren and our sisters in the Lord and, and minister with them. But there are times when we pray for things, but we don't actually receive, <coughs> excuse me, the fulfillment of our requests. I think I left my coffee back there. Um, but that's all right. Sorry, one minute. <coughs> okay. So, so the, there's a principle here that we can learn, and that's faith plus patience equals fulfillment. Thank you, Lucan. You're a good guy. <laughs> so, isn't he a great guy? <laughs> so, what'd you put in this? No, just kidding. Um, so there's this principle here <clears throat> that we can learn is faith plus patience equals fulfillment. And I want to encourage you, if you're praying for something, Don't think that God just isn't hearing you. He just wants you to be patient and wait on him. And then in his time, he will decide whether to fulfill that request or not. And so Paul here is saying, I long to see you uh, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. Um, Now, I don't think this is talking about some charismatic gift. Um, I mean, it's, it's hard to say what he's speaking about. But look at it, it says so that you may be established. Now the gift is in the singular in the Greek, so it's not that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts, which I think if it was like a charismatic gifting that he wanted to impart to them, that, uh, that it would be in the plural. Um, who knows, some people have taken this to be the Apostle Paul was giving out gifts of the Spirit. I, I don't think that's what that's saying. I think that he's saying that, that I want to just bless you, uh, I want to encourage you and establish you in the word. But look at what he says in verse 12. He kind of like uh, backs up a little bit and says, that is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So he's not saying that I, I have this and I'm going to give it to you. He said, man, I want to come there and bless you guys. Well, well that is that, that we would bless each other as we grow in the faith together. Uh, that, that we might, might encourage one another, that we might mutually uh, be growing our faith, both you and me, together just by being there. So verse 13, now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise, so that as much as it is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. The, this is where we really see the heart of the Apostle Paul. He's just saying, I can't wait to get to you, and I can't wait to preach the gospel in Rome, and I don't care who I preach it to. I, uh, listen, I, I've seen fruit among many of the Gentiles, the nations. I've been preaching. I, I'm not exclusive to the Jews. And then he says that I'm a debtor, both to the Greeks and the barbarians. I I actually consider myself in debt to these individuals, these these people groups who haven't received the gospel yet. Wow. I mean, 
that's an incredible heart and a humble heart that Paul actually says that if, if I don't give them the gospel, I'm not fulfilling my debt. I'm not paying my debt of love to these people. They need to hear the gospel. And, and, and God's called me, and, and I can't wait to give it to them. And, and then he says both to wise and to unwise. Now, gr- Greeks obviously are the Greek-speaking culture and the... Um, the culture of, um, oh man, I just lost my, the word here. Um, I'll get it back in a minute. Uh, but, but Greeks were, were just the, the idea of the culture, uh, the cultured individuals. Barbarians were those who, who spoke a language other than Latin or Greek. And so uh, basically the Romans and the Greeks, actually the Greeks were the one who kind of coined the term. It sounded like bar, 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 bar. To them, and so they gave the name barbarians, and that, that's where that kind of comes from. And so, so uh, he's saying that uh, because oh, Greek Hellenized. Thank you. I, I just got the word back. Thank you, Lord. Uh, so the Greeks were the Hellenized culture, and, and then of course the barbarians were those who spoke a different language. And Paul's saying, I want to reach them all, but then he goes on to say both to the wise and the unwise, and that's the cultured and the uncultured. I, I want to get to those who have been uh, schooled and are eloquent. And those who ha- don't know anything, and, and, and they're on the streets. I want everybody to hear this gospel. I'm so excited to share this with you. Um, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. So I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. I'm ready to preach to you. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Um, first Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now you and I, uh, maybe growing up in the church, might think, why would he be ashamed of the gospel of Christ? And and maybe you're in a place where you actually are ashamed of the gospel of of Christ. You're a little embarrassed about it. That that as you've started to talk with other people about it, you've kind of said, I'm embarrassed. I don't want to share it. I hope that's not you. But And maybe tonight I'll change your opinion about that. But you see, in 1 Corinthians 23, 25, Paul writes this. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And I like the way Paul phrases that, that if it's foolishness of God, it's definitely wiser than any man on the planet. And if it's the weakness of God, it's definitely stronger than any man on the planet. But the word here that I want to pay attention to is the word stumbling block to the Jews. Uh, Right in that first part in, in in verse 23, it says, to the Jews a stumbling block. Now the word there is scandalon. And you, let me say it one more time, scandalon. Uh, do you hear that word? Scandalon. Uh, you can kind of hear scandal in there, right? And so it, it means that which causes offense or revulsion and results in opposition, disapproval or hostility, fault or stain. It's 
a scandal. And, and so Paul here in Corinthians is saying that to the Jews, this is a scandal. It's scandalous. The fact that God came and was crucified for us, that we couldn't keep the law, that, that, we, that, that we needed a Savior, that, that, we weren't, that we didn't do it well enough. And, and so Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's no scandal to me that I'm in Christ, that I needed Christ. There's nothing scandalous about this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And why am I not ashamed? Because it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes that it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Christ, that is the power of God to everyone who believes. The power of God. Wow, that's an incredible idea that, that, I mean, when you think about God, don't you think that there's a lot of power there? I mean, this is the God who split the sea, the God who turned the Nile to blood, the, the God who raises the dead, and it says that this message is that power. This message is powerful, this good news, and there's no way I'm going to be ashamed about it. In fact, think about this for a minute. Paul was not ashamed, even though he had been imprisoned in Philippi, that he had been chased out of Thessalonica, that he had been smuggled out of Damascus and Berea, laughed at in Athens, considered a fool in Corinth, and declared a blasphemer and a lawbreaker in Jerusalem. He was stoned and left for dead at Lystra. Some pagans of Paul's day branded Christianity as atheism because they believed in only one God. They even considered it cannibalistic because of confusion about the Lord's Supper. But Paul was not ashamed. He's been in prison. Yeah, I've been in prison for the gospel. Very proud of it. Yeah, I've been laughed at in Athens. Very, very proud of it. Because it's the power of God to those who believe. Uh, I'm not ashamed. The power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek uh, or the, the nations um, for, the, for the Gentile. All who believe. Uh, we need to understand this as we go into Romans, and we're almost done here tonight. As we go into Romans, the word believe is not to believe that God exists. Believe is an act of faith in God. It's putting our trust in God. And, and we could define this idea as to hear God speak and respond to God with an attitude of dependence and actions of obedience. That's to believe. So if, if you say that I believe God or believe in God, it's got to be more than just saying I acknowledge God. To believe the gospel of God is to say, I want it to be mine. Lord, I, I not only receive it, but I'm ready to do it. And, and so the, 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 um, Paul is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. I wonder if you are in a place where you believe the gospel is the power of God. That you might be in a place where you say, I want to go share this good news with those who don't have it. I'm ready to give it because it's the power of God. Or maybe you're in the place where, yeah, I don't want to offend anybody. I'm just going to step back. I don't really know that they need it. Maybe they're good. Oh, 
May, may we learn from Paul. It's the power of God for salvation. There is no other way in which God has provided that we can have salvation. Verse 17, for in, the, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. You see, there is only one means that God has given to us, his righteousness. There's two kinds of righteousness we can think about here. There's God's righteousness, which is absolute, 100%. Uh, God cannot be less than perfect. God is right. He's righteous. And um, for us to become righteous, we have to merit or meet God's standard. Then there's man's righteousness, which is relative, right? I mean, when you think about somebody who's righteous, like you start thinking about Mother Teresa, obviously she's passed, but, or, or someone like that, you go, oh, wow, she was really righteous. But, but there's a sliding scale of righteousness, and man's righteousness doesn't cut it. And, and throughout Scripture, righteousness is actually pictured as a garment, or, or like a robe or clothing. In fact, we're told in Isaiah 64, 6, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. That's your righteousness. Man's righteousness are like filthy rags before the Lord. doesn't mean you're not a good person. Some of you might be great people. But, but your righteousness, your standard is like filthy rags. Psalm 119, 142 says, Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. Speaking of God's righteousness, that's the righteousness we need is one that's everlasting. Habakkuk. 113 says, of God, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. We can stop there. I just said that part of the verse. But God cannot look on wickedness. He's righteous. You can't be in God's presence as someone who is not righteous. Finally, Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, uh, that is how the Lord closes, clothes us in the garments of salvation. Now, we're not going to have time tonight, but uh, there's a parable Jesus tells in Matthew 22, 1 through 14. I want to encourage you, Matthew, to go home and read that, Matthew 22, 1 through 14. And uh, just uh, ask yourself, what uh, maybe you can consider it, and we'll maybe talk about it next week, or you can come up to me personally and talk to me. But this idea here that God is our righteousness, and that's why Paul's not ashamed of it, because a righteousness of God has been revealed from faith to faith, and is, is written, the just shall live by faith. And that's going to be one of the major themes of the book, is that there's a, now a righteousness from God revealed to us by faith. And we're going to close there for the night. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you have given to us a righteousness apart from the law. Lord, that... that you have done the work for us on that cross. And if you're in this room this evening and you haven't received that wonderful grace from the Lord, that you aren't, you aren't uh, 
a part of the Lord's family, that you don't have that relationship with him, I want to encourage you, you can receive him right now. Just pray, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying on that cross for me. I believe, and I'm ready to follow you. Lord, we thank you that you, you've done the work. And Lord, here we are starting at the finish line. Thank you that you call us beloved and saints. We're so grateful to you. Lord, may you encourage our hearts and our minds as we consider these words tonight. May we not be ashamed of your wonderful power of the gospel, but may we declare it to those in need. May we have that heart of the Apostle Paul to go and share it. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. When you read that parable in Matthew, consider the idea of God, our King, giving us the garment of righteousness, and I think it will unlock that parable for you. But now I want to leave you with a benediction from Paul from the letter of 1 Corinthians. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen.